0: This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success.
1: And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, September 19th, 2019, edition of Invest Talk. And it was another interesting day in the markets, the post-bed day. And we had quite the gyrations, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And obviously we have the Saudi Arabia news uh, in, in the news. <laughs> That's going to be important to the, the energy markets and the geopolitical situation. Middle East is always pretty volatile, so keep an eye out for what's going on there, and I think that's going to evolve over the the coming weeks. So markets are volatile. Seen a lot of up and down over the last 18, 20 months or so, and today was no exception. We had up in the morning, and we really rolled over early in the morning and closed near the lows of the day, kind of around the levels. That we were when the Fed came out with their decision you know middle of uh, middle of the morning yesterday so there's a lot happening uh, I talked a little bit yesterday about how I expect the market to kind of hold up through this week through quadruple witching and roll over next week uh, because the Fed didn't really give any indication that they are willing to lower rates more in the near future as well as do QE to solve the funding problem in the money market markets right now. And that's something we're going to touch on as well, because this is a story that is not over. This is uh, now an acute problem that needs a solution, and we're going to talk about what the Fed is doing and how this could affect markets overall. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you will call me with your questions today. And when and if you do make that call, you can take charge of today's program or even a future program. If you're calling after hours, you can leave your message and we will answer it on the next show. And that will help you in particular take your next step in your path and your journey towards your version of financial freedom. So we do this each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We are not CNBC we are not Fox Business. We aren't here to tout one side or the other. We're just here to give you our unbiased opinion. And we could be wrong. We often are. Nobody is correct 100% of the time or even 80% of the time. Okay. So, But what you can be assured of is that when we're giving you our opinion or the information, it's not... Like we're trying to play a political agenda or anything like that. We're not trying to favor a particular fun family or broker or anything like that. Okay, So we try to stay as independent as we possibly can. And that's why you come here is for that independent, unbiased advice. Now, today we're going to do our best to answer as many questions as possible our Any Timeline is open right now at 888 99 chart. That's 888 992 4278. There's a quick reminder about upcoming Invest Talk events. Steve is in New York City today and tomorrow conducting no cost portfolio reviews. He's also taking reservations for his next round of appointments October 10th in San Jose and November 7th in New York City. Also, a reminder our KPP Wealth Management Conference is set for October 12th in Irvine, California, earning yield in a no-yield world, investing in real estate stocks and bonds for income. You can learn more and register at investtalk.com. Just go to InvestTalk and click on Conferences. You can register right there. Please tell your friends about this important income investing opportunity. Now, my main talking point today centers around the story, despite trade tensions with China, weak demand for chips and semiconductor stocks have rallied this year. They're up. They're back near all time highs, very similar to the overall markets. And this is a crucial industry, a crucial sector of the economy and the markets because I've said this before semiconductors, in a lot of ways, are our new transportation stocks. Right before, it was railroads, shipping companies that move goods around the country because most of our economy was based on goods. Nowadays, in many ways, our economy is built on information and moving information around the country, between devices, etc., and you do that with chips. Not to say railroads and shipping companies aren't important. I talked yesterday about FedEx and their poor earnings. But more and more, chips are becoming more and more important. So we're going to talk about what that looks like, why, they, why there's optimism around the industry, and what could derail the recent rally. So I'll look into that also. Nancy Pelosi just proposed a bill called the Lower Drug Cost Now Act. And this is one of the first big pieces of legislation that follows through on what I've been talking about for a little while now, which is, political support for constraining drug prices and this is likely going to affect the drug industry right your big pharmaceutical names and even the biotech names as well why because eventually biotechs bring drugs to market and if there's limitations on the prices they can charge then certainly there's going to be limitations on the value that those drugs are going to bring to a corporation, so it's going to affect that whole area, right? And you have research and development and companies that supply equipment to the R&D companies, right? So there's wide-ranging effects here on the national budget. What is that going to look like? So we're going to touch on all of those things as well. I also want to get into what's happening here in the repo market, in the money market, and the fact that rates have been spiking, been increasing and that's a problem and it shows that there's a lack of liquidity in the marketplace and this is not just a one time one time event this is part and parcel a result of lack of liquidity in the in the markets because of bank balance sheets being constrained Their balance sheets are tight, they have too many assets, they can't lever it up anymore, and something needs to be done. And I'm going to talk about what the Fed could eventually do in order to loosen that market. And then maybe we'll also get to uh, an article that I was trying to get to the last few days about your parents' financial advice and why it may be wrong in today's market. So that's what's on my mind. That's what I want to talk about. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. Give me a call. 888 chart eight eight nine Let's take a quick look at the markets today. S&P was down just a, a tick. Small caps were down after a recent resurgence in small caps. You're starting to see a rollover again. Uh, it was relatively weak yesterday, much weaker today. And if you look at a ratio between the S&P and the Russell, you'll see that it's still in a downtrend. Despite the recent rally in small caps, it's still in an overall downtrend, which really started in June of last year. So you've continued this down, this underperformance of small caps compared to large caps, which is certainly underneath the surface not a great thing for the overall market. NASDAQ was up slightly, 7 tenths of a percent. So it was kind of a flat day today but certainly a rollover from the morning highs, which tried to breach resistance and couldn't once again. So I still think we get a rollover next week, like I said, because the Fed was not accommodative enough. When the markets don't like the path that the Fed is on, they revolt. When the market says, Fed, you are too tight, you are not providing enough liquidity in the system to keep the economy going, keep asset prices rising. Well, you get a large sell-off like you did in the fourth quarter last year. The Fed pivoted then from hawkish, right? They were on a path to tighten in the fourth quarter as well as a few times this year. And once the market rolled over, well, they, they, they followed through on their word for the fourth quarter and tightened in December, but completely reversed everything this year and now they've loosened twice right they've dropped rates twice this year versus you know the beginning of fourth quarter last year the expectations in the for 2019 were two to three rate hikes so completely different picture and i feel like the markets will revolt again now that the fed has kind of promised not promised but indicated they're not going to lower rates anytime soon you're listening to invest talk i'm justin klein let me remind you the Invest Talk radio program and its podcast replays provide a daily dose of market news with unbiased commentary as well. We have a new offering it's called Invest Talk Academy. It's an online training class covering a wide variety of financial investing subjects in depth. You can learn more at investtalkacademy.com. Now we're heading into a break, and I'm taking your questions now at 888 99 Chart.
2: Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888 99Chart.
1: Let's go to Matthew in Kansas talking about Pfizer.
3: Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call.
1: Thanks for making it. You're uh, looking to buy Pfizer? You own it? What is it?
3: Well, um, I got about a third of my holding, and I was going to buy it as a core holding for dividends, but kind of on your subject today, I'm worried about the new bill in the house and also that they're going to sell off part of their, I think it's LipTor and Viagra uh, brand, mm-hmm. and I'm worried that might really hurt their ability to sustain the dividend and uh you know, a top company.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what percentage of the revenue that is of their business, but let me look at some details on Pfizer: 200 billion dollar market cap, 235 billion dollar enterprise value, which means they have about 34 billion dollars in net debt, which for the size of the company, not too crazy. Quarterly positive free cash flow about two billion. That's pretty nice. Their revenues are down 1.5% year-over-year. Earnings are much, much better, but certainly decelerating from where we were just a couple years ago. 4% dividend, cash-dividend pay ratio of about 68%, pay ratio of 63%. So not super high, but definitely not low either. Their return on equity, about 19%. That's nice and and solid. Um, But I do worry about a couple things. Like you said, the bill, which I'm going to talk about here in a little bit, that could limit drug price increases. And I'm not sure if that's the catalyst for this recent sell-off from low forties into the mid thirties, right? You're down 15, 20% from its recent high. And that's an issue. And now it's below all the major moving averages. And technically it looks very, very weak. So I definitely would not be owning this enterprise value to ebitda is 12 which is not super high but long term it tends to it tends to trade closer to the 8 to 10 range. So not 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 super overvalued but not undervalued either and I don't like the technicals, I don't like the regulatory backdrop. This would not be a core holding for me because of those major issues. Thanks for the call Matthew. Let's go to CanDo in North Carolina talking about social security.
3: Uh, uh, I was reading somewhere that uh, we are running out of social security money in
4: another 10-15 years so is it true and uh, well after after I mean it it depends
1: it it depends on uh, how you handle social security I mean the, the government could always print money and put money in the social security fund and pay out benefits so That'll certainly happen to some degree. You're seeing the problem now. I've said this. We have about $100 trillion plus in off-balance sheet sheet liabilities as a country in in benefits, Medicare, Social Security, etc. And that's now coming on balance sheet. So it's would be a political problem for them to not pay it out but what it is is creating problems for our fiscal situation and we're in the start i believe of a fiscal crisis here in the united states i'm taking your questions live right now at eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: this is invest talk and steve Peasley is meeting with listeners today in new york city And due to strong demand, Steve has added new dates for his no-cost portfolio reviews. October 10th in San Jose, California, and a second round in New York City on November 7th. Your financial freedom guidance continues now. Justin Klein is here. He's ready with answers, but he's waiting for your questions. Call now,
1: 888-99-CHART go to Jeff in Kentucky. who wants to talk about the economy.
3: Hey, Justin. Thanks for taking my call. I love your all show. Um, I'm definitely an avid listener and I've invested for, you know, ever since in high school and, uh, looking at the, you know, looking at the last 15, 20 years of recessions and growing debt, uh, as you stated, you know, yesterday on the podcast. Um, you foresee potentially a credit crisis due to the monetary policies of the federal reserve as, as, as a regular guy, you know, I'm, i work for a living, I invest, I try to save and be responsible with my money. Um, unlike the federal government, so to speak, do you foresee, you know, the, some type of ripple effect in the economy for the next 20, 30 years where Overall, being an investor in the stock market, it's going to be more volatile, where maybe cycles are going to be more unpredictable because of the growing debt and maybe this credit crisis. And I'll let you answer. Thanks a lot.
1: It's a a great question. Now, that all comes down to how the role of the Federal Reserve changes over time. You know, the the whole goal, especially the last 10, 12 years since the financial crisis, of the Fed has been to reduce volatility, to be there to reassure markets uh, and and make sure that there isn't a big calamity like you saw in 08. And what that I think has created though is excesses in the system. Uh, valuations, think of the WeWorks of the world have uh, these private companies that have just massive valuations as well as pensions where pensions are trying to get yield, they're having trouble getting yield, they're going out there, they're buying corporate bonds, companies are levering up buy buyback shares, and it's creating this increase in debt overall in the system, and then the problem is, is when that snowballs lower, what type of tools do they have, or policy tools on the fiscal side, right, to counter these problems. Um, and I, I think they're more proactive to step in. But being constantly proactive also limits the amount of volatility. And volatility is good for markets. You know, when everyone expects one thing to think of uh, think of the housing market in, in the mid-2000s. Everyone just expected to go up, right? So what did it do? It created complacency. The mantra was that housing prices never go down. Well, lenders became complacent. Investors became complacent. Homeowners became complacent. And then when things turned, then everyone's left holding the bag because they weren't paying attention to what really mattered, which was the underlying fundamentals. And the big question is, how does the Federal Reserve and even policymakers change the way they affect the economy overall. So I do think there will eventually be some sort of change with the Fed in their mandate or their tools. And does that bring light the you know the, the cryptocurrency market where it's Bitcoin becomes the core foundation of uh, savings, right? Where maybe it's not, you know, there's they've talked about there's like the Lightning net network on top of the the Bitcoin network And I do think that's something that will evolve over time because there is some validity to it, but there's also some risks and some problems that absolutely need to be worked out over time. So does that mean there's going to be a lot more volatility? Yes, there's going to be a lot more angles to play than just, oh, is the Fed easing? Is the Fed tightening? right? Because the Fed and central banks globally are kind of out of bullets to really do a whole lot. That's why I say the next turn, and you've already started to see that with the ECB saying, we need fiscal help. We need fiscal help. If you go watch Draghi's interview, uh, press conference was it last week, week before talked about fiscal help consistently. And I think that's what all central banks are going to start turning to. It's some form of MMT and how does that manifest itself? What industries does that help? Does that help the average person a lot more than the wealthy? And I think it probably will because money will be spent on economic activity, building things, giving people money as opposed to lowering interest rates just to inflate asset prices. Cause that's what the fed has been trying to do. You'll read their papers. That's what they want to do. They want to, they've been wanting to create this wealth effect so that people go out there, they have confidence, they spend. That's their ultimate goal. And the problem now is, now they're under the rope. At the end of the rope, if you go to negative rates, which the Fed, or Jerome Powell said in a press conference yesterday, that he doesn't see that being the next step. He does not see negative interest rates in in the United States because of the problems you're seeing in Europe and the, the banking system there. So, there's going to be a shift and it's going to the next 15, 20, 30 years, like you said, I think are going to look different, very different than the past 15 or 20 years because of just where we're at is uh, as tools, policy tools by leaders to actually help the economy. So, yes, volatility is likely to be much higher over the next 30 years than over the last 30 years. Now, tomorrow's stock, We have the best show best up show and the main talking point will concern the story a fear bubble is creating a huge buying opportunity that's tomorrow i'm justin klein and invite you to i invite your finance and investing questions now at eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: overall i feel pretty good about our investment decisions but there are times i wonder if our current 401k plan could be doing better i mean which funds are the right funds for me
5: for us. You're listening to someone who could benefit from KPP Financial's Active 401k program.
2: I can't spend all my time following the market, and I'm sure it would certainly be a big help to receive advice based on real data from unbiased advisors.
5: The Active 401k program features math-based models to guide you in and out of the various investment options in your plan. KPP monitors and advises you take action with the Active 401k program. KPP clients immediately see current investment recommendations configured to match their personal plan preferences.
0: Active
2: 401k.
5: Okay. Take the next step toward your financial freedom.
2: The great thing about achieving financial freedom, you can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to.
5: And here's more good news. KPP clients who are active 401k subscribers will receive a complimentary subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Each Friday, Steve Peasley writes a market action and trend newsletter that serves as a quick summary of the week that was. It also includes stock ideas, portfolio management information, and consumer finance tips. So enroll in the active 401k program and also get the KPP Premium Newsletter. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial, Or visit kppfinancial.com.
2: We have some important calendar dates for you. First, Steve Peasley is taking reservations for his no-cost portfolio reviews. The next availability will be October 10th in San Jose and then November 7th in New York City. And the next KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference will be held in Irvine, California on October 12th. That is a Saturday. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. 8899
1: chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. 4278 We have about 20 minutes left in the show, so if you're going to call, do it sooner rather than later. Now, my main talking point today centers around the semiconductor industry. And even though we have trade tensions with China and fairly weak demand for chips overall, semiconductor stocks have rallied pretty strongly this year, up 39% in 2019. That's after a fairly rough 2018. And it's all on the back of optimism, partly around the trade war, but also that 5G rollout next year is going to give rise to a lot of demand for new chips to build out that infrastructure. Now, that's certainly going to benefit certain names like a Qualcomm, for example. They have the technology Uh, They sell a lot of chips in China, even though China's trying to catch up with their type of technology. China's still well behind, three, four, five years behind in their development. That's part of China 2025. They're trying to catch up to the global semiconductor industry and their expertise, but they're not there yet. So Qualcomm still will continue to be a major player. Micron is up 60% this year after a pretty rough 2018, and that's because 5G is supposed to be very fast and more and more more storage is gonna be needed, right? The more, the faster data can move, the more data is just simply gonna be created and stored, and that's gonna be good for the memory storage industry, which Micron is one of the biggest players there. You also have stories with certain names like uh, NVIDIA with AI, uh, cloud storage, and that's been slowing a little bit after building out the cloud infrastructure over the last five to seven years, but it's still a trend that is is overall positive. Uh, The short-term volatility uh, can be big, especially around what happens with the trade war because in the short term, that's more sensitive. Now, the big question is, will the cyclical problems globally outweigh the positive catalysts that likely will happen next year with 5G? Now, this recent rally is basically saying, yes, demand is weak now, but this demand will likely turn around next year because the economy will get better as well as the raw 5G. And I'm watching this closely because we are back to relative highs on the SMH, which is the most widely traded ETF uh, in the semiconductor industry. And we're kind of at a triple top here from the highs in late April hit another high in July, and now we're back up to those highs. Weaker MACD from a technical perspective, so certainly not strong new high, but doesn't mean we can't eventually break out. And this is an indicator that I'm watching for, as as well as the overall tech industry. I think you're going to see leadership one way or the other. It's either going to break out to the upside, or it's going to roll over, and I'm going to look for that here over the next couple weeks, because we're right near that high. And the big question is, this will be likely the indicator of where the economy is eventually going. Now let's make time for a caller question that came in earlier on our Anytime Listener line at eight 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 ninety nine chart
4: Hello, Steve or Justin, this is Chuck from Illinois. I have a question about gold and silver. In uh, 2013, I listened to a Doom and Gloom podcast and took the advice of the person to pull money from your IRA because in the next coming collapse, your IRA would most likely be wiped out. And gold and silver were stores of wealth and uh, hedges against inflation and All that good stuff. Uh, So I did that. I pulled about $8,000 out of my IRA and bought uh, some gold and silver right at the peak. And it's going down, down, and down as the market has kept going up and up. So what's done is done. I can't change that. Anyways, I would love to hear your opinion on what I should do now that gold and silver are finally going back up. And I'm not there yet, but I'm getting close to break even. Should I put it in the market? Leave it be. It's a small amount, as I said. It's probably about six, seven thousand or so. I would love your opinion. Thank you very much.
1: All right, great question. And you're right. Gold and silver have been rallying back to about the levels that you saw in 2012. In 2012, it was still relatively high, around the sixteen hundred dollars an ounce level after the peak in 2011. So certainly, your timing was not that great. You know, it was down a little bit from that seventeen uh, $100 an ounce high, but it took you a while to get back to even. And you have to, just cause you're even doesn't mean you get out. Uh, you have to look at the longer term secular picture. And I do think we are in a longer term bull market for gold because of kind of central bank problems and uh, a return to base money. And that, is that going to be in the form of gold or is it going to be in the form of some sort of cryptocurrency? I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out, but I do know that the current situation is bullish for gold, especially with the deficit. That typically, when the deficit rises, gold prices rise with it. Okay, so this deficit does not look like it's turning around anytime soon, and so I don't think gold is going to have any protracted pro- protracted downturn. Now it's certainly overbought right now. We're working through some resistance. Uh, there's been a recent pullback, but I would absolutely hold it. Now, going back to the original point of, Oh, in the next calamity, your IRA will be worthless or you, you know, you're be confiscated or whatever. I don't think that's going to be the case. I I don't think it's going to be a breakdown of government or anything like that. It'll be a change in government change the way, change of the way things are viewed and handled, uh, especially with economy and monetary policy, I believe. But I'm not this doom and gloomer. We're all going to be Uh, in the desert, in a bunker, just trying to survive. I don't think there's going to be a breakdown in society like that. I think that's going way, way too far. But you could see a likely change in the way the monetary system works, the way forward. Uh, And this is, I think, likely going to play out over the next 10 to 15 years. And it'll be a different setup, but I think your IRA will still be intact. I don't think we're going to take away the tax benefits of the IRA. It'll just be a different world in some respects, but in a lot of respects, the same world. Okay. So don't buy into the super doom and gloom. You can be bearish on the economy. I'm fairly bearish on the economy, but I don't think it's going to turn into 0.8 times 10. I think you could have something similar. I think everyone should have some money in gold and silver, 5%, 10% of their overall portfolio, but don't buy into this, oh, I need to get out of all uh, financial assets or anything like that. Just shift them to areas that you think are going to have long-term benefits, and I think gold and silver are those places. 8899 chart 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have 15 minutes left. Now let's touch quickly on this new bill by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and other top Democrats that was unveiled today. It is called the Lower Drug Cost Now Act, and what it's meant to do is to begin the dialogue and the discussion to change the way drug pricing happens in this country, and clearly Our lawmakers are seeing what drug prices are abroad versus what they are here and what Medicare, Medicaid is paying for those drugs. And they see this as a big problem. Now, this would change the way government negotiates prices each year of at least 25 of the most expensive drugs in Medicare and the private market. Up to 250 medications would be subject to this negotiation. And the upper limit for price would be 1.2 times an average international price. And if they can't come to the negotiation, there would be some major taxes. And there would be, a, part of the bill, it would set a $2,000 out-of-pocket limit on drugs for seniors on Medicare. So it would drastically limit the payout we would have to give drug drug companies for, for drugs in the Medicare system. Now there's actually a very similar bill by that was that was put in place or put up for vote by Iowa Republican Senator Charles Grassley. His bill would put a thirty one hundred dollar cap and have some different changes. But both of these bills aim to modernize the Medicare system that is more beneficial for the taxpayer as well as the patient. And less beneficial for drug companies. Now clearly drug companies see this as a big problem. Lobbying spending by seven key drug makers increased to about $70 billion this year. And that was the highest level except for two, eight, 2009, which was $87 million. Sorry, I think I said billion before. It's million. When Obamacare was beginning to shake up the healthcare sector. So clearly when the government is changing laws that are going to affect the bottom line and the revenue of these large drug makers, they go out and they spend a bunch of money on lobbying to help assure that it's not too disruptive to their business. And I could see that likely happening again. So... You know, there's going to be a fight here between really both sides of the aisle, but they both don't like spending money on drugs. They both don't like this problem of very high drug prices. So this is one of those few issues that I think both sides of the aisle see relative eye to eye on. And when you look at this in context of the backdrop of, this before, 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day, massive deficits that are only increasing for various reasons, but one of them is Medicare. I could easily see this being a major change in the way drugs are priced here in the United States. Now, there's supposed to be a hearing on Wednesday on this bill in Congress as well as other price-related legislation. So, this is moving forward. And House Speaker Pelosi has asked the president to help support this bill or something like it. And I think this will be one of the few pieces of legislation that will get passed between now and the end of the Trump presidency, because both sides don't like it. Trump even tweeted about reducing drug prices and his interest in that. And I could easily see that happening. And that's why I don't love the prescription drug sector as a whole because there's way too much uncertainty there. Uh, but it also could be more fear than actual action. So we'll see how this goes, uh, but certainly we will weigh on the industry as a whole until it's resolved. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk. And as you make your investment choices, there's always a bit of fear, angry that creeps into your judgment process. And our job here on InvestTalk is to try to filter that out so you don't have emotions. You invest based on facts, logic, as well as understanding the risks of the investments that you're putting in your portfolio and your portfolio as a whole. The first step in understanding what is right for you is to take our free risk analysis tool called Riskalyze. It's on talk.com you can check it out and you can ca- quickly calibrate your risk tolerance and then if you like we can make sure your portfolio is invested like your risk tolerance so that you aren't making rash decisions when volatility hits and now I'm ready to take your questions live at 8899 chart
2: this is invest talk made possible by KPP Financial. For serious investors interested in improving their ability to build financial freedom, we have an important invitation to a new KPP Wealth Management Conference. Earning Yield in a No-Yield World. Investing in Real Estate Stocks and Bonds. Speakers will include InvestTalk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein, and they'll be joined by real estate experts and a trust attorney. The October 12th conference in Irvine, California will cover these topics. Understanding real estate investing, from buy and hold to vacation rentals and land banking. How the trade war and economic trends will affect stocks and bonds. Ways to increase your income potential and defer taxes using trusts. And a lot more. Seating is limited to 50 attendees. Tell your friends, the newest KPP Financial Wealth Management Conference is set for October 12th. Learn more and sign up now at investtalk.com.
1: Now the sale of previous owned homes rose in August, the highest in more than a year. This occurred at a time of lower borrowing costs. You've seen rates come down, the 30-year mortgage rate is at three point seven three percent. That's up a little bit, but overall, you know, this is a lagging indicator. It's just this recent uptick in rates is just this month. So, in August, rates hit about three and a half percent in the thirty-year, which is about as low as they've been over the past fifteen years or so. And five point four nine million homes were sold in the month of August. That was a, a nice uptick from the month before. Purchase applications are up 15% year-over-year, year, and existing home sales represent about 90% of the market, and and the housing starts yesterday demonstrate the biggest gain since 2007, so clearly you're seeing low interest rates, like I've said before, low interest rates certainly give a nice boost to affordability and activity in the market, and this is probably the, near term, the shiniest light. In our economy right now. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. We're going into the last segment, so give me a call right now at 889 chart.
2: On tomorrow's Invest Talk, we will have a best of show, and the main talking point will concern this story. A fear bubble is creating a huge buying opportunity. That's tomorrow. But now, Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888 99 Chart. Hi, Stephen. Justin, this is Andrew from Westfield, Indiana. Appreciate the podcast. Had a question about FedEx. I was listening yesterday about the comments made by the CEO about being pessimistic on the economy as well as their low earnings report. However, given that information, uh, we're leading up to prime shipping season, leading up to Christmas. Just curious if this would be a good buy to hold on to for the next two, three months, and then consider other options after that, or uh, should I leave it alone and look for something else? I'm not currently in it, but I was just looking for ideas and curious what you think.
1: All right, great question. He's saying... Yes, FedEx had poor earnings, and their expectations going forward were not very exciting. But hey, we're just a few months out from Christmas, and there's going to be a lot of things shipped. Uh, And my answer to that is yes, but that's known by the market. And right now, the expectations for the Christmas season are actually fairly bullish, a little bit better than last year. I think last year, sales were up about 3%. This year, they expected up to be about four to four and a half percent. No one really knows until we get into that season, and what does the market do as well going into the holiday season? That always affects sentiment, and so to me, that's not a catalyst. I mean, in two thousand, was that fifteen? The Fedex sold off twenty thirty percent between August and January. So clearly. That season didn't benefit them, uh, and so I don't see that being a catalyst today. It really is about improving business for in uh, the economy, uh, because if the economy improves, more things are shipped. Certainly, FedEx is going to benefit from that. Now, there's certainly some tech, some some headwinds s- secularly because the likes of Amazon are trying to launch their own delivery service, right uh, and there's ways that other companies are trying to reduce their shipping costs because most people expect quick two-day shipping. You know, Walmart's doing their own thing. They could start their own shipping company as well with their distribution centers around the country. So there's a lot of potential competitors coming on board with the likes of FedEx, and I think that's a larger headwind as well. They talk about that loss of business from Amazon. So um, I wouldn't use it as a catalyst. It's not a, big enough for me. I would pass on FedEx here. But great question. 888-99-CHART, eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. 4278 Now, talk quickly before we end the show about this repo problem. I said this yesterday that this is not a one-off event. This is a structural problem because of our rising deficit. And you can see that today that... Once again, the New York Fed stepped in with $75 billion in a repo auction. And this can solve the issue short-term. And in some ways, it didn't even solve the problem because it was oversubscribed. I think uh, there was $84 billion in demand for it, and they only did about $75 billion, so they didn't sop up all the demand for short-term liquidity. And the problem with this facility, a repo facility, is because this is how repurchase agreements work. I give you money, you give me treasuries, for example, as collateral, with the agreement that you're going to buy these treasuries back from me in a short period of time, tomorrow, next week, for a little bit more than I bought them from you today. And I'm going to earn a small profit on that. Usually, somewhere around the Fed Fund's rate, which is, say, 2% now. Well, that rate skyrocketed to 8%, 10% just a couple days ago. And this is not a permanent solution, because guess what? Yes, I gave you liquidity today, but you need to give that back to me in the near future and pull that liquidity back out of the system. So the only way for them to solve this problem is to do QE, to print more money. Now, they could reduce the reserve requirement. That's one thing they could do. That would give more room on bank balance sheets to lend out in the repo market. But this is why I'm a big fan of gold and silver. Fed has to return to QE. They have to monetize the debt in the end. At the end of the day, that's what's eventually going to happen. It's just a matter of when and when the Fed wakes up to it. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. We have a best of show tomorrow. I will be here on Monday and Steve returns on Tuesday. Good night.
0: Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically.